I don't know if this is considered political or not, but I'm going to take my chances. I want to talk about electric vehicles. And I can see the argument about pollution, but where do people think electricity comes from? That you just plug it in and it's automatically there? It's kind of like thinking chocolate milk comes from brown cows. A small percentage of our electric comes from solar. I can see the advantages to that. Okay, the sun, well, here in Oklahoma, it seems like it shines every day. Until a large percentage is produced there, it's really not a viable source. And a small percent of our electric comes from wind, which sounds good until you realize the amount of lubricant that's needed to keep windmills spinning and the fact that the, um, the blades are using fossil fuel as well. So, uh, and, I, and I wonder, what about these guys that drive around in their loud vehicles? If we are all forced to have uh, electric cars, are they going to maybe have a, a station on Sirius XM that they can turn on so it makes that noise or a CD that they can put in or an 8-track if you got an old car? And then there's this distance thing. Okay, an electric vehicle is not what you want to take on a family vacation. Okay, unless you plan on going less than 300 miles in a day. Now, I've seen the ads that say up to 300 miles with one charge. And a lot of people say, wow, that's really great, y'all. I can do that. Well, is that with four occupants in the car and your luggage and driving through the mountains of West Virginia, Colorado, wherever? Or are we talking about one person driving through the state of Kansas to get those 300 miles? And here's one thing that I just, I, I just don't understand. Why can't electric vehicles produce their own electricity? I mean, you have to plug it in, get it charged to get it going. But as you drive and the wheels are turning, that they're linked to a generator producing their own electricity. That sounds pretty good to me, and it sounds pretty simple. I don't know. Well, one thing I do know is God must get a good laugh at some of the things that he sees us doing and sees us not doing that we should be. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you still are in control of the universe. <coughs> Even when we think we're in control, Lord, help us to remember that's not the way it works. And so, Father, help us to look to you for the problems that we have in our lives, that your word has the answer to everything that we encounter in any way. So, Lord, as we look at your word now, help us to see what it is that you have for our lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the cheerleader. I remember the cheerleaders in school when I was in school and how you know, they were just kind of the, the cream of the crop. You know, if you got to be a cheerleader, that was a big thing. 
and especially since uh, girls' sports were almost non-existent. There was no inter-school sports. There was just intramurals, and that was just in basketball and volleyball. And so it was a big deal to get to be a cheerleader. So let's try a cheer, okay? Give me a V. Give me an I. Give me a C. Give me a T. Give me a... Oh, what? You know, we have a choice now. It can be an O or it can be an I. If it's an O, it's leading you towards being a victor. But if it's an I, it's pulling you down to be a victim. What is your choice? Because we have that choice to make in many cases. Most of us spend time being both. In relationships, you know, just, oh, he's the one for me. You know, he's my my dream man. You know, I just had a list of everything that my dream man was going to have to be. And he just checked all the boxes and all. And, and then you find out that you aren't the only one for him. That he likes to have a buffet that he can choose from. Or in work, you know. When I get this job, you know, I've sent in my resume and I've had two interviews. And so when I get this job, I am going to have it set. But then you get the job and you find out that it really wasn't what you expected. You know, they, you thought you were going to be, you know, like a junior executive and you're the guy that's the, the male boy. Or... Maybe it's like when I get this raise, I'll really be doing well, you know, because you know I'm making decent money now. But when I get this raise, I am going to be on top of things. But then you get the job and you find out that it has less hours. And so you end up making less money than what you did before. Education, boy. A lot of people think, you know, this degree is just really going to put me out there and people will be calling me up. Well, you find out that there's really not a very big need for the degree that you've gotten. Well, we can go from victor to victim pretty fast. And we can go from victim to victor not so fast. Sometimes we fall from victor to victim, and it's our fault. You know, we made bad choices. You know, we, we shouldn't have gotten that car. We shouldn't have gone on that vacation. You know, we, we shouldn't have um, spent our money on whatever, and now we're really hurting. Or it can be, you know, you just didn't plan ahead. I know a lot of people, they reach retirement age, and it's like, wow, I got here already, and they didn't really, you know, put money away or uh, have things that are going to let them uh, be able to retire comfortably. And sometimes it's you just don't see something coming. You know, you've been working at a job for months, years, whatever it may be. You know, the company's doing well, and then all of a sudden the company's sold, and it's going to be relocating. And they don't need you, okay, because they have somebody 
in this other place that's been doing the job longer than you. So you're out of luck. Well, sometimes it's a fault of someone else. Maybe somebody that, you know, um, you're in a partnership with and you find out, you know, you've been kind of losing money, not doing real well. It's because your partner's been pocketing money that should have been going back into the business. Or sometimes it's somebody that's a backstabber. You know, you uh, you got your boyfriend and, you know, you're really happy and, and all. And then you find out your best friend has been seeing him on the side. Or at work, you've come up with this fantastic idea, going to save the company money and make them a lot of money and and you share it with one of your fellow employees, and in a couple of days, the boss comes out and says, you know, this person here just gave me this great idea, and we're going to implement it right now. And that was your idea. But you didn't get the credit for it. And sometimes we think we're a victor, only to find out, really, that we're a victim. You know, we thought we were living the life. Okay, but we've been climbing the ladder of success only to find out that it's been leaning against the wrong wall. Well, I want to look some at some victors and some victims in the Bible. And there are plenty of both. Okay, John 11 gives us a story familiar to many of you about the death and resurrection of Lazarus. For those not acquainted with this, here's a Reader's Digest version of what happened. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were good friends of Jesus. Lazarus gets sick and the sisters send for Jesus. Well, Jesus decided he was going to wait for two days before he went to Bethany where they lived. Well, so he goes to Bethany and Martha goes out to meet him, and she says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was not a happy camper. Okay, and then Martha goes to the house, and Mary goes out to see Jesus, and she says the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So, up to this point, who is the victim and the victor? Well, in Mary and Martha's eyes, Jesus is a victim. He should have been here. And in their eyes, Jesus is a victim to not caring. You know, if he really loved Lazarus, you know, he would have hopped on a camel and been here in an hour. So who else? Well, Mary and Martha, they're victims also. Well, why is that? Well, they had unreasonable expectations of Jesus. In their minds, he should have dropped everything and run. But they didn't know Jesus' plan. And Jesus could have been uh, healing 10 other people or raising 20 other people up from the dead. And, you know, it's not something you say, well, sorry, I'd raise up your brother, but I got to go do this other thing. So we have more than one person that are victims. Lazarus, he's a victim of sickness and death. Hmm. 
It's not his fault, but Satan took him out. But wait, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there's two victors. Okay, Jesus is not just a victor. He's a hero. And Lazarus is a victor because he's alive. But wait, again, a messenger takes the message to Jesus. That would have taken one day. Okay, when Jesus got the message about the sickness, he waited two days. So then Jesus goes to Bethany one day. So when Jesus arrives in Bethany, in verse 39, it says, By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been, been there in the tomb for four days. So even if Jesus had gone right away, he still would have been dead. But we have a happy ending to a tragic story. And we have more victors than victims in the end. Well, then we have our good friend, Paul. Actually, Saul, for starters. In Acts 13, 9, it says, Then Saul, who was called Paul. It doesn't give us anything that, you know, there was a ceremony or whatever. Or Paul announced, yeah, from now on, I want to be called Paul. You know, I'm tired of being called Saul. So it just happened, I guess. But that wasn't uncommon to change a name when somebody came to Christ. And because of his role in the church, you know, he probably didn't want to be known as Saul anymore. Well, Saul, he was a victim. <coughs> he didn't realize it at the time because he would have called himself a victor because he seemed to have everything going for him. Well, in Acts 8.3, it says, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. <laughs> that is not a victor, at least not in God's eyes, but in the eyes of Saul and the Jewish leaders, he was a victor. Then in Acts 9, 1 and 2, uh, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he, if he found any there that belonged to the way, whether women or men, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. So he was on a mission. He was a victim. He was a victim of lies, of hatred, and a victim of Satan. Because he was doing Satan's work. But now there was no stopping him. He had the, the priest, high priest's blessing, and he was ready to go. Man, I am going to wipe out these people that are followers of Jesus. So, but wait, again... Saul's story is about to do a 180. On his way to, to Damascus, everything changed in a flash. This changed Saul from a victim to a victor. Saul was going from a hater of Christians to a lover of Christians. He was going from preaching against Jesus to preaching the good news of Jesus. <coughs> 
Saul was now on fire for Jesus, no matter what happened. <laughs> and lots happened. Starvation, prison, beatings, shipwrecks, and much more than that. And most of those things more than one time. But Saul, Paul, he stayed a victor. Paul showed us that sometimes we have a choice whether we're going to be a victor or a victim. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul starts out this chapter by boasting about another believer and says he could also boast about what the Lord has done in his life. So listen to what Paul says about this. This is verses 7 through 10, 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Wow, a thorn. Hmm, what could that have been? Well, the message says he was given the gift of a handicap. That doesn't help. Many Bible scholars have guessed as to what it was. And Paul really gives us no clues whatsoever. Some say that it was physical. Some say it was a spiritual thing. Some say it was an emotional thing or something else. Paul did say, a thorn in my flesh, which leads many to think that it was a physical thing. Does it make any difference to us? No, but it will be the first thing that many people will ask Paul about when they get to heaven. You know, what What was that thorn? What was that problem? And some people say, ah, see, I told you so. So Paul was given a choice with this thorn in his flesh. Do I become a victim to that and let it get me down and let me just say, you know, I just can't deal with this. And so I'm just going to go into retirement. Or Paul could say, do I become a victor? Well, from what he told us in 2 Corinthians 12, he became a victor. Obviously, Paul chose the latter. Praise God. Well, the Bible gives us many choices of victims and victors. <laughs> you just have to look in the Old Testament. Many of the kings were victors but more chose to be victims, victims to, to hatred, victims to especially hating the Lord, and victims to idol worship. But let's look at another well-known man from the New Testament, Peter. Peter's life with Jesus was rather unique. He was one of the uh, inner circle, him and James and John. He was one of the first of the twelve to be chosen by Jesus, along with Andrew and James and John. They were all fishermen, and sometimes not really the best fishermen. 
Well, in Luke 5, we see one time when they had been out fishing and they came back with nothing until Jesus. Okay, in Luke 5, 4, it says, Jesus makes a suggestion. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus didn't say, put out the deep water and let down your nets and maybe you'll catch something. No. He said, you're going out there for a catch. Well, Peter's response in verse 5 was, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. They followed Jesus's suggestion and they caught more fish than ever. In verse 8, it gives us Peter's response to this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter was a victor. When he kind of questioned Jesus, he was a victim. He was looking at, you know, what seemed to be the obvious. But Jesus changed that. He followed Jesus, or followed what Jesus had told him to do. In Matthew 27, we find Peter having another fishing experience. This time it's just one fish. And the tax collectors had come knocking, wanting their money from Jesus and the others. Jesus questioned Peter about who paid taxes. And he, Jesus didn't want any trouble. So in verse 27, he gives a solution. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a dra four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. A four drachma coin. Well, the closest I could find was that was four days wages. And no wonder the Israelites complained. But Peter, he became a victor because he didn't doubt what Jesus had said. I probably would have said, yeah, right, Jesus, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Nice try. I'm not going to fall for that, Jesus. You almost got me. Throughout Peter's time with Jesus, he was a victor and sometimes a victim. He was a victim of his doubt, seeing things through the world's eyes. All four Gospels tell us of the time Peter was the great victim. Luke's account starts out like this in Luke twenty-two thirty-four. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter denies his possible denials. Peter became a victim, big time. He was a victim of his disbelief. He was a victim of doubting Jesus. But Jesus gave him the opportunity to get out of his victimness, if that's a word. In John 21, it tells of Jesus reinstating Peter. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Peter's response in verses 15, 16, and 17 was, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus' reply to each of Peter's responses was either feed my sheep or my lambs or take care of my sheep. With this exchange, it's believed that Peter went from victim 
to Victor. <coughs> Act 2, Acts 2, tells us of the new improved Peter. He speaks with boldness. He speaks like a victor. Well, the last one, the man that goes from victor to victim to victor. Luke 15 gives us the tale of the prodigal son. He had a good life, worked on his father's farm, and I don't think he wanted for anything. <coughs> and then, greed comes knocking at the door. That was Satan. And this young man is tired of waiting for his father to die. So, in Luke 15, 12, Jesus tells us that he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Okay, so he's gone from victor now to victim. Greed, laziness, self-centeredness. Well, then in verse 17, it says, He came to his sentence, senses. So after blowing all of his inheritance and having to work slopping the pigs, he decided maybe this wasn't the best idea. So now what? He goes home hoping to become a hired man, not to be able to come back as his son, but as a hired man. But his father has different ideas. Verses 22 to 24, the father said, Bring the best robe, give him a ring, put sandals on his feet, kill the fattened calf, we are going to party. Because of the love and forgiveness of his father, he went from victim to victor. Well, we should all be able to relate, at least to some of these passages. And if you find yourself a victim, most times you can change it. So when the cheerleader goes, give me a V, give me an I, give me a C, give me a T, we can say, give me an O, give me an R, because I'm a victor. I am not a victim, not anymore. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks that you can change that part of our lives, and you do, if we allow you to. So, Father, just just be with us, with us as we go through our day-to-day -day life and help us to, to work on getting that victim uh, attitude away from us and wanting and trying to become the victor that you need us to be. And Lord, I, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this <coughs> that does not know you. And they maybe uh, relate to this and say, you know, I'm, I'm a victim. I've been a victim my whole life. And I want to change that. Well, only Jesus can change it. So Father, help them to know that they need Jesus as the center of their life. And what they need is salvation. Now, that may be a strange word to them, so let me explain it. Salvation is when you trust Jesus totally with your life, that you admit that you've been a sinner because we've all sinned, and then you know that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. Now, don't take that lightly, okay? Because when Jesus, well, before Jesus went to the cross, he was beaten and the beating that he had would have taken the life of many. But Jesus was given the strength that he needed because he still hadn't completed his task. So then he was nailed to the cross. Nails were put through his wrists 
through his feet and it was put on the cross for all to see. <coughs> and he died. He died in a short time. Sometimes it would take three, four, five days before a man would die. But Jesus died in a, a few hours. And the way you die on the cross, it's not so much the nails in your hands and feet. It's the fact that when you let your weight down, it collapses your lungs so you can't breathe. So you have to push up on those nails in your feet in order to catch a quick breath and then let yourself back down. And so that's what Jesus endured for us because he died on the cross for our sins. In other words, he took our sins into his sinless body and died there for us. But then, on the third day after that, he rose from the dead. Jesus uh, gave him the strength, gave him that heartbeat that put him back into life. And he did that for us. And if we believe that, and we pray that prayer, we'll know that we too will have the salvation that we need. And it only comes from one place, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.